You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. On this podcast, we're going to talk about some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place and provide inspiration for others. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires everyone. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet here. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. Today on the Make Meaning Podcast, I'd like to pay homage to Mary Oliver, a wonderful American poet who influenced me in my early years studying poetry. She died January 17th, 2019. So I'm going to take my listeners on a journey with me through poetry, through my own writing journey, and maybe share a little bit of Mary Oliver's work as well. So I grew up in Farmington Hills, Michigan, and I always loved to write. Um, since I can, since I could hold a pen when I was little, I was writing stories and poems and skits. I had a little corduroy covered journal in the 1970s and 1980s where I wrote my little stories from the heart and thought every word was magic, which it probably wasn't, but that's what writers do. And as I grew up, I tried to find every opportunity I could to write. So I wrote for my local newspaper the Farmington Observer. I was one of their high school correspondents. I wrote for my high school paper. And then at the University of Michigan, I wrote for the Michigan Daily. I sought every opportunity I could to freelance for other publications and just wanted to find every chance to write and get paid to write. So when I graduated from college in 1993, I moved to New York City about three weeks later. And I started working at a newspaper called American Metal Market. I wrote articles every day about metals and mining. It was really interesting and really boring at the same time. And I loved living in New York. I went to a writer's workshop every Tuesday night, and I met people who wrote for the New York Times, who had big books published, who traveled the world as correspondents. And I was just in awe. I wanted to meet everybody, soak up everything, and just live the life of a writer. But of course, you know, we need to make a living, and it's really hard to make a living as a poet. So I tried to find ways to be paid to do so. And I was. I was paid as a journalist. I was paid as a freelancer. But I still wanted to advance my creative side. So in 1994, I applied to graduate school for creative writing, and I ended up going to Goddard College in Vermont. I did um, what's called a low residency program, which means that you don't live there. You go up twice a semester and stay for 10 days and really immerse in writing. And then you go home and you do your writing and your development where you are. Because if writers are in the same place, they're writing about the same thing. And I loved meeting all these different writers in Vermont for an intensive couple of weeks and then returning to my life in New York. And then I moved to Washington, D.C., so my life there. And um, writing poems, reading poetry, um, learning about how you develop your voice and how you become fluid in your own style of writing. And one of the things that I learned is that in order to find your own voice, you need to study how other people have their voice. And that sometimes means writing in their style, not copying, but just sort of trying to emulate writers that you're reading. Um, a big part of learning to write well is reading a lot. And so 
when I was in graduate school and I was studying different poets, I studied Michigan writers and Jewish writers because I'm Jewish and female writers because I'm a woman and writers who are interested in the things that I'm interested in. And some of those things were nature and love and family and faith and relationships, um, really the nuances of how we live as humans in relation with the natural world. So Mary Oliver was one of those poets that I went back to again and again, and I still return to her when I'm looking for simple inspiration and simple beauty. So I'm going to ask you, as I take you on this journey today, to think about how often you find beauty in your daily life. And I'm also going to ask you how often you look for it. Because I fear that we live in such a fast-paced culture and time that we don't stop to recognize all the lovely details all around us. And it's just really simple. It's the beauty in the simple things. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to share with you one of Mary Oliver's poems, and then we can talk a little bit more. I'm going to read um, Blossom, which is from a book by Mary Oliver called American Primitive, and here is Blossom. In April, the ponds open like black blossoms. The moon swims in everyone. There's fire everywhere. Frogs shouting their desire, their satisfaction. What we know, that time chops at us like an iron hoe, that death is a state of paralysis. What we long for, joy before death, nights in the swale, everything else can wait, but not this thrust from the root of the body. What we know, we are more than blood, we are more than our hunger, and yet we belong to the moon, and when the ponds open, when the burning begins, the most thoughtful among us dreams of hurrying down into the black petals, into the fire, into the night where time lies shattered into the body of another. That was Blossom by Mary Oliver from her book, American Primitive. And, you know, this book came out um, and won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1984, which was the year of my bat mitzvah. And so she's been, she wrote poetry for so much of the 20th century and influenced um, American poetry and American voices. And yet what she wrote about here was nature, um, was nothing specific, nothing grand, nothing brand name, but just simple, you know, talking about ponds, uh, shedding their winter layers and opening like black blossoms. And there's a darkness here and a beauty. And so in my mind, in this poem, she's showing that there's beauty even in sadness or in cold or in um, the revelations of the seasons. And it's a simple thing. So how often do you go walking in the woods and see something that you've seen a million times before and then notice its beauty each time. That happens to me whenever I'm hiking. And I go a lot by myself and with my kids and my husband. And I see the same trails that I've walked so many times. And yet, each time, it's as if it's the first time. And your heart beats in your chest, as if you've never done anything so important. And you just feel so alive. And that's what Mary Oliver's poetry is about. And for me, that's what writing is about. It's about recognizing your aliveness, you're, the fact that you're human and you're here and, 
and things matter. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mary Oliver because we're talking about her today and I think it's important to know a little bit of her background. Um, she was born September 10th, 1935, and she won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize, as I said earlier. Um, in 2007, the New York Times described her as far and away this country's best-selling poet. Born in Maple Heights, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland, Mary Oliver had a lot of time to herself as a child, and she spent that time walking in nature and reading. Her father was a social studies teacher and a sports coach in Cleveland public schools, and she has said in interviews that writing gave her a way to deal with a difficult childhood, which I won't go into here. You can always look her up and find out what kinds of difficulties she did talk about, but writing gave her an escape from the very challenging real world into the possibilities of other worlds. And so she began writing poetry at age 14. And so it made me think, who writes poetry today? You know, there are a lot of children who scribble poems and, you know, it's roses are red, violets are blue. I have them framed on my walls at home from my children when they were younger. And then there's a time when we start to become self-conscious. It's middle school and high school, and we start to censor ourselves and judge ourselves because everybody else is doing the same thing. And I think that's when writing poetry stops. And only very brave um, souls continue on with it because it, there's no money in poetry. There's no glory. It is just knowing that you are alive and recognizing the beauty of the moments. Um, so it can be a solitary um, activity. It can be a pursuit that nobody ever validates you for or appreciates, and yet you continue to do it, which sounds a little bit like the definition of insanity. And yet I was wondering just this morning if I could do what my soul really wanted me to do, what would that be? And I have a feeling it would be to write poetry. So who writes poetry today? And then how do we relate to poetry? I mean, do we even? Is it that we hear poetry in music and in rap and in hip hop and in movies. And so that's our version of poetry. Or are we actually picking up poems or books and understanding that line breaks tell us something and white space tells us something um, and emptiness tells us something and that being really tight with your words and very simple tells us more than having too many words and an abundance. <clears throat> and I'm thinking that poetry is a language that um, it can be both accessible and lofty. And so sometimes it shuts the door on a lot of people who might otherwise be changed by it and transformed. But in poetry, I find a way to capture the moments and then string them all together as a series of livings. Um, we know we are real when we notice what is around us. So I want to read another Mary Oliver poem for you. And this one is called First Snow. And it's also from American Primitive. And as a Michigan native, I'm partial to the snow. And I'm also glad when it disappears. So let's enjoy First Snow by Mary Oliver. The snow began here this morning and all day continued. It's white rhetoric everywhere, calling us back to why, how, Whence such beauty and what the meaning? Such an oracular fever flowing past windows and energy it seemed would never ebb, never settle less than lovely. And only now, deep into night, it has finally ended. The silence is immense and the heavens still hold a million candles. Nowhere the familiar things, stars, the moon, 
the darkness we expect and nightly turn from. Trees glitter like castles of ribbons. The broad fields smolder with light. A passing creek bed lies heaped with shining hills. And though the questions that have assailed us all day remain, not a single answer has been found. Walking out now into the silence and the light under the trees and through the fields feels like one. That was First Snow by Mary Oliver from American Primitive. What I love about this poem is that there is a first snow every year, and um, it always feels magical, even if we've had, you know, 50 first snows. Um, and sometimes when you have the season um, change upon itself, so there's snow and cold, and then it all melts, and then there's another snow, it's like there's a second first snow, um, as if you're experiencing it anew. And so it reminds me that we can have first moments all the time. Um, even with someone you've been with for a really long time, you can have a first kiss again because that first kiss fades and you just forget that it ever happened. And then all of a sudden you come back from a business trip and it's like you were never together and it starts anew. And it's really cool that we can have this starting over all the time. In this poem, what I love so much is that um, she talks about the nat- the nature all around us in such magical ways, like um, the heavens still hold a million candles. And so just that, that little phrase, lighting up the night in such a different way. Um, and then the darkness we expect and nightly turn from. And we do. Every night it's going to get dark. And every night we just turn on every light to make sure that we don't feel the darkness, which is such a metaphor. Um, so much of life is running away from life. And um, she's saying in this little poem about first snow that um, it's going to happen anyway. And so why not face it? Why not sit in the dark and become comfortable with the darkness? Um, she says in here, trees glitter like castles of ribbons. And um, then she says also the questions that have assailed us all day remain. And then, of course, going outside feels like an answer to those questions. Because how many of us ruminate and ponder and spend our days wondering what it all means? And then we never have answers. And so sometimes nature just gives it to us. Like, this is the answer. This is what it is. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt from Staying Alive, which is a nonfiction piece in Blue Pastures, another book by Mary Oliver. And um, and then I'll say a little bit more. So... Um, All right, staying alive. Um, This is from Blue Pastures, and it's just a little bit of the chapter called Staying Alive. We are walking along the path, my dog and I, in the blue half-light. My dog, no longer young, steps carefully on the icy path until he catches the scent of the fox. This morning, the fox runs out onto the frozen pond, and my dog follows. I stand and watch them. The ice prevents either animal from getting a good toe grip, so they move with the big-hearted and curvaceous motions of running, but in slow motion. All the way across, they stay the same distance apart. The fox can go no faster, neither can my long-legged old dog, who will ache from this for a week. The scene is original and pretty as a dream, but I am wide awake. Then the fox vanishes among the yellow weeds on the far side of the pond, and my dog comes back panting. I believe everything has a soul. Adults can change their circumstances. Children cannot. 
Children are powerless and in difficult situations. They are the victims of every sorrow and mischance and rage around them. For children feel all of these things, but without any of the ability that adults have to change them. Whatever can take a child beyond such circumstances, therefore, is an alleviation and a blessing. I quickly found for myself two such blessings, the natural world and the world of writing, literature. These were the gates through which I vanished from a difficult place. And it goes on, and I'm not going to read it all, but again, that was an excerpt from Staying Alive, which is in Mary Oliver's book, Blue Pastures. And um, what really amazed me is that she's recounting this very vivid scene of the dog and the fox. And as a writer, I wonder, did she take notes while this happened? Or did she go back later and sit at her desk and write it out from memory, which means it probably wasn't exactly as it happened, which I think is one of our existential questions of our time, because we are always recording what is happening now and not experiencing it. And that if we experience what is going on in this moment, we can't record it. We have to remember it and the memory changes it because we're no longer in it. Um, sometimes when I'm hiking through Cranbrook or Heritage Park, um, beautiful places in Metro Detroit, I um, have my phone with me and I'll just talk to text in the notes app and I'll just write down some thoughts so that later I can turn it into a poem because I don't want to leave that moment and that beauty to sit down and write. I want to live it. But if I live it, when I get back in the car and I'm back in traffic and then I'm home with the kids, I'm going to forget the beauty of that moment. And so it's this ultimate juxtaposition of do I live or do I remember? Um, do I record what I'm doing? And we live in this era of social media where everything is recorded and every moment has to be posed and curated and shared. But that means, I think, that we're not living them. And sometimes the simple things are all that matter and really all that exists. You know, think of the titles of Mary Oliver's books, um, Blue Pastures, Why I Wake Early, uh, American Primitive, White Pine, Long Life. And there are so many more, but these are just the simple things. You know, and I think about the title of the book, Why I Wake Early. And I do. I wake up early every morning and I, I always wish I could get up earlier because I love the silence in my house. I find it really uplifting and so much possibility before the day really starts to go in its normal pace and, and just get away from me. Um, but in the early morning, the possibility of a new day hovers and anything can happen. And that music is soundless, but it's incredibly reassuring. I used to meditate every morning and I would wake up early to do that and gain clarity before everything else started. All it took was closing my eyes and going inward and either reciting a simple sound or no sound at all and leaning into it. And I found that this simple nothingness set the tone for my day, that everything after I meditated shone with brilliance. I didn't have any anxiety. I didn't worry about things like, would this client pay? Would that client leave? Would a new client come on? Um, would the kids be fighting? Um, would my husband aggravate me? <laughs> would the dishes ever get done? I never worried about those things when I took that time to sit in the stillness, um, which I haven't done for a number of years. And I think that I suffer for it. And we all do for not finding the stillness. Um, I'm going to 
read a couple more poems and then we're going to close out this segment of the Make Meaning podcast. And I hope it introduces to you some beautiful ideas, not only from Mary Oliver and the, the richness of her simple poems um, and her impact on American society and literature and, and our vernacular, but I hope it gets you thinking about what matters to you too. So next, I'd like to read a poem called Snow Geese from Mary Oliver's book, Why I Wake Early. So here is Snow Geese. Oh, to love what is lovely and will not last. What a task to ask of anything or anyone. Yet it is ours, and not by the century or the year, but by the hours. One fall day I heard above me and above the sting of the wind, a sound I did not know and my look shot upward. It was a flock of snow geese winging it faster than the ones we usually see, and being the color of snow, catching the sun so they were, in part at least, golden. I held my breath, as we do sometimes to stop time, when something wonderful has touched us. As with a match which is lit and bright, but does not hurt in the common way, but delightfully, as if delight were the most serious thing you ever felt. The geese flew on. I have never seen them again. Maybe I will someday, somewhere. Maybe I won't. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when I saw them, I saw them as through the veil, secretly, joyfully, clearly. I don't know if you noticed in that reading, and sometimes you have to read a poem more than once to get it, but we don't have time here for that. Um, all the internal rhyme, what a task to ask, you know, it's such great end rhyme there. Um, and then, uh, yet it is ours, but by the hours. Um, so just fun little things that she does in the body of the poem. And so my last poem that I'm going to read today is This World, also from Why I Wake Early by Mary Oliver. So let's read this world. I would like to write a poem about the world that has in it nothing fancy, but it seems impossible. Whatever the subject, the morning sun glimmers it. The tulip feels the heat and flaps its petals open and becomes a star. The ants bore into the peony bud and there is the dark pinprick well of sweetness. As for the stones on the beach, forget it. Each one could be set in gold. So I tried with my eyes shut, but of course the birds were singing, and the aspen trees were shaking the sweetest music out of their leaves. And that was followed by, guess what, a momentous and beautiful silence, as comes to all of us in little earfuls, if we're not too hurried to hear it. As for spiders, how the dew hangs in their webs, even if they say nothing or seem to say nothing. So fancy is this world. Who knows? Maybe they sing. So fancy is the world. Who know? Maybe the stars sing too. And the ants and the peonies and the warm stones. So happy to be where they are on the beach instead of being locked up in gold. Thank you for going on this journey with me today on the Make Meaning Podcast. One of the things I'm trying to do here is capture what is truly meaningful, what purpose we can carve out of a restless and busy life to elevate our days. 
This conversation about the poet Mary Oliver has been one such luxury for me, and I hope for you. We've spent the last half hour immersed in recognizing how simple beauty can be, how our purpose can lurk in the shadows of tall grasses behind the house. Have you looked there? Have you pondered the meaning behind your days? If not, I invite you to make today the day that you discover your true self, the reason you're here. That's why I launched the Make Meaning podcast, and I hope it's why you listen. Thank you for joining me today to pay tribute to the beautiful late poet, Mary Oliver. I hope you'll tune in again soon to hear more stories of meaning and journeys of purpose. I am Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, and I've really enjoyed being here with you today. You can find the Make Meaning Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and I'd love it if you'd share our great conversations with all your people so we can add meaning wherever we go and whatever we do. 